Good morning and welcome everyone to Live Dharma Sunday for November 12th, 2017. Koyo Kubose here. So very, very glad you're able to join us. <clears throat> well, modern technology, this show, communication, Dharma talks. You know, when we pause to think about mm, communication, hearing the Dharma, um, back in the day, (laughs) what a phrase, back in the day, uh, Dharma talks were heard in person. Uh, I mean, they were, you know, no modern um, tape recorders or you know videotapes or anything um, you had to be there in person and you heard a Dharma talk and probably that is still the best way to receive a teaching you know in terms of the person's presence um, and so forth. Uh, yet, to uh, to the medium of television or or uh, audiovisual, of course, is much better than nothing at all. I don't know the difference. I don't know what to measure if you want to measure effectiveness or the difference between reading something in a book and hearing the same message as a talk, even though it's the identical same words. Uh, Of course, with a, a printed word, you could pause, you could think about it, and then continue reading. I'm sure there's some trade-offs. But anyway, the reason I'm mentioning this is you always think about in history, uh, nothing was written down of the Buddha's words and and so forth. Um, uh, Maybe there's a certain mystique when the when something wasn't preserved and and then you hear accounts or tales about you know stories about such and such time and you know uh, it could be um, what do you call elaborated on um, uh, <clears throat> decorated I don't know you know what I'm saying you know but if it was taped, videotaped live, I mean, it's an actual videotape of the person talking or giving a talk, and uh, you can't say, oh, <clears throat> you can't make, you can't uh, elaborate in a way that uh, exaggerates or, you know, magnifies something when you could see sort of the raw footage and maybe some of that uh, 
if you compare somebody's memory that enhances the impact of a talk um, versus anybody could see the raw footage. Um, one example might be, I remember reading something where, so he was um, the teacher then, or something, blood came out of the mouth. But the actual thing that happened was there, there was a little pinkish tinge in the saliva. That's much different than someone saying, and then blood gushed from so-and-so's mouth. Um, so exaggerations and so forth. Um, but anyway, the reason I'm talking about this is Dial of Dharma, uh, we've been doing this for, see, we start. we started in the 80s. So however many years that is, maybe 30 years ago, before I joined the ministerial staff at my father's temple in uh, Chicago, I was teaching at a uh, university in uh, Wisconsin at the time, I remember, and we were living in uh, Janesville, which is a little town across the Illinois Wisconsin border and it was about a two hour drive into Chicago and so we were going in uh on the weekends. We had our two boys and so they could go to Dharma school, which is our equivalent of, you know, Sunday school. And uh <clears throat> we all know that there's a, a very common uh dial of prayer. So I was thinking, oh, that might be something innovative. And so I had that idea. And sometimes my parents would come up for a little family gathering up to our place. And we'd go into the to the study. And um, my mom, a lot of my father's talks, okay, especially the ones that were given on Sunday morning before the regular service. But, you know, um, in the early 70s, when he, well, <laughs> I got to back up. In Japanese tradition, uh, when a person, especially a male, turns 60 years old, it's a, it's a special commemorative year and I don't know how this got started but uh, it's called Kanleki uh, and <clears throat> uh, it has to do with uh, the, the cycles of a calendar and 12 years in a cycle and uh, uh, when you turn 60 I guess back in the day uh person was um maybe not didn't have to be so uh, didn't have his his responsibilities in terms of providing a you know uh livelihood and so forth was winding down okay. <laughs> um 
sort of, you know, get like retirement, like. And so somehow in the folk wisdom of it, they said, well, when a man turns 60, then he should start a new project in life. Like he's, you know, doesn't have any more responsibilities, family, domestic, work, or other things, and he has a lot more free time. He should start new things. So there's usually a celebration, and they wear, I don't know why, but they wear a red, special wear, red vest and a hat and everything. Uh, it's sort of a traditional, you know, old-style thing. I don't think many young people do it, follow that anymore. But anyway, when my father turned 60 in the 1960s, and uh, he took a sabbatical from uh, ministry, and he wanted to go back to Japan and study. Uh, I think he was going to go to the Buddhist uh, university, get a master's degree in Buddhism at the uh, Buddhist college. From uh, And so when he and mom went, and they stayed five years, and um, one of the things he did was he uh, did some sitting meditation in there's a lot of famous temples in Kyoto. Miyoshinji, I know he sat. And when he came back, one of the uh, results of following through with this phase of his life, he started the Buddhist Educational Center in an annex building next to the church because the church uh, had uh, on, on, uh, <clears throat> purchased two, three flats, uh, brick uh, adjoining the temple building. And uh, one was more or less a rectory for the ministerial minister's residence, and the other was used for Sunday school classes and such. But they, my father started a Buddhist educational center, and they offered courses um, in in history, language, and of course in Buddhism. And as part of this whole movement. For the first time, he started a meditation group, a sitting group, on Sunday morning, I think about 8 o'clock, and uh, and afterwards, maybe after an hour or so, maybe a couple of sessions of sitting meditation, interspersed with walking meditation, and then he would give a short talk, and then everyone would go... <clears throat> to the annex kitchen and they'd have a little light breakfast. So they started that and that lasted a long time. Okay. And he, he would always say, I remember, you know, after the sitting and he gives a little talk Well, my mom turns the tape recorder on, you know, was, uh, ah, it's so nice to sit together and so forth. So it's only, Five minutes, maybe. Talk. 
And then these talks, um, there's a kind of a core group, sitters, and um, uh, someone transcribed these talks. So these were this was a nice raw material for Dhamma because it's you know it's not like a regular Dharma talk given from the pulpit on the Sunday service, which starts at 11 o'clock in the main chapel. Um, so we had this this material, transcript, transcribed material, and using that, and maybe with a little editing and, you know, choosing which ones. When my father came up to Janesville, Wisconsin, and we taped them on cassette tapes. And then we got an answering machine. Okay. We set it up in my father's study in the rectory building next to the church. And I would change it every week, change the message. And then we had announced that, you know, Dial of Dime was available. Uh, that's how it started. Okay. And um, a lot of things happen. <laughs> uh, uh, people, uh, when we began, or even, uh, you know, we, we probably had about 100 calls per week or so. Ten a day or whatever, and uh, one time we got featured in the uh, Chicago Tribune, and wow, we had maybe a, a hundred calls a day. <laughs> That's strange how that works, but it falls off right away. I mean, so I don't know if that's good or bad, but just you know, publicity, and then they, uh, and then one time, strange thing was. Uh, this was later when the word, you know, this, we had been doing it for a decade or so. And my mom was at my place when we were in Skokie now, and I joined the ministry and so forth. And uh, they were visiting us and she just happened to, I subscribed to Tricycle magazine, Buddhist magazine. And my mom was just, it was lying around and my mom was just sort of browsing through it in the, in the living room, and she said, hey, here's a picture of Dad. <laughs> At all. We looked, and it was an announcement uh, about Dhyla Dharma. Um, <laughs> they never contacted us. Someone, somehow they learned about it, and I thought, you know, this is a kind of innovative thing. Okay? And, they, and there was a little write-up about it. <laughs> Not like a feature article or anything, but and they had his picture there. That's what caught her eye. Wow. And, of course, a lot of times there was technical difficulties. And also, I had to, the way that these tapes work, an answering machine, uh, you you had to take the tape apart and cut it and then reattach it uh, and put it back together. Uh, because when the message ends, then... And the tape ends, 
then that uh, jerk, okay, elicits the rewind and so forth. So you can't use a, you know, 30-minute, 60-minute tape that on. You have to cut, go in there and physically cut the tape and re make it so that it's the length of the talk. And so you could take cassette tapes apart and, you know, and do this. So, and then sometimes the machines didn't, the, the answering machines, we went through, I don't know how many, and, and got different ones, got a more heavy-duty one, and all these things. But it, So it was a very nice project. Um, some people, you know, we got feedback. Some people regularly listen to it, driving to work. Um, one person, uh, it's sort of just by accident you hear about it, you know, get feedback on it. One person uh, played it. He was, I don't know what kind of a business he had, his office. And he would play it over the office PA system, you know. <laughs> and, you know, it's kind of sporadic. And sometimes some of his worker, office workers would say, hey, can you play one of those tapes today? <laughs> you know, uh, I guess it's sort of a, like a snack rather than a main meal. You know, you hear about, because they're only about, maybe the shortest one is one minute, maybe the longest one is three, four minutes. Somehow, there's a difference between snacking and eating a main meal. You know, when you listen to a regular Dharma talk, maybe 20 minutes long or whatever, I I won't say it's a chore, but I mean, you have to really you know, you listen how it's being developed and what's and everything. Whereas a snack, just pop it in your mouth. You know, you could be walking by <laughs> or whatever. Um, now, of course, well, I we did that for a while. Then I don't remember exactly the time frame, but then I started to make some recordings, and then. We we went to a daily schedule instead of changing the tapes every week. Okay, um, so we developed this kind of a tape library and and the t- answering machines and so forth. And um, uh, then, oh, I don't know how many years ago we did convert all the tapes to um, MP3s, digital, and then uh, some young people, you know, oh, they, 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 they said, well, put it, use this service. You have, you know, we had to pay for a dedicated line, telephone line, when we did it. Now we're paying for um, this service, okay, this one we were using was Ring Central, they call it, and it's used, it's, a, it's an answering service uh, business, but uh, uh, well, we use it for a particular niche thing of these, you know, dialadharma messages, uh, and uh, so we've been doing that for uh, I don't know a decade or so now, and now we're right in them 
midst of making another change, technology-wise. Okay, we were paying for this ring service, service, and um, where we go into the computer every morning and and select the next talk, and the talks alternated every day between one of my messages, one of my dad's messages, and so forth. And uh, and as I said, of course, now the, now uh, for those people who knew my father personally, to hear his voice, I think is, uh, and even those that uh, knew that didn't, you know, know him, I think to hear a person's voice uh, adds some kind of an impact of life quality. And in fact, one time at a, at a memorial service, somebody was mentioning that, hey, it would be nice to hear the deceased voice at a memorial service. That would be a nice feature. It should be a regular feature if you can do that. Okay, a video or, of course, well, yeah, they got video. They're showing videos now and, you know, Slideshow at least, but the voice. Yeah, I, we never followed up on that, but when we help families, uh, when they do a memorial service, yeah, maybe, you know, something about the voice. Okay. But anyway, uh, we're going to change this to, since it's already... MP3, it's in the computer, digitized. Um, now, and <laughs> this was related to the fact that Ring Central, they're going to raise the rates. I thought, oh, we've been thinking about this for a while now, so this is a good opportunity to you know, make the change, and we'll go to podcast. See? And uh, Podbean, they call it. Um, nothing exotic, really. You just... Uh, use this, I guess it's an app, or I don't know if it's technically an app, but you you put the link on the on the uh, website, and, and once people know, they could access it yeah, with, just through their computer. They say, oh, okay, I just, uh, in most smartphones, have access to the web and so on. Uh, you probably we probably could reach more people plus it's free <laughs> so it's an upgrade all the way around so stay tuned uh we're going to put out our newsletter pretty soon for the winter issue for December January February so end of November we have to get our copy and uh lay it out and send it to the printer and so forth uh, we have an announcement that um, you know, Dialadharma is moving to a new new uh, presentation platform or whatever you call it. Okay, and um, what a great what a great thing! What a great thing to hear a voice. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, <clears throat> you know, I don't know if this is an original thing or not, but capital letters, not, not original with me, but 
you know, if you say, if you if you say life or you spell life with a capital L or you, you know, it, it sort of gives it uh, some kind of an emphasis, doesn't it? And um, I remember talking to a, an old friend who uh, got diagnosed with terminal cancer and um, so back in Chicago and I talked to him on the phone and, and I said, oh, you know, these things, it's reality with a capital R. And uh, I kind of like that, <laughs> that, that phrase, <laughs> you know, because we know about reality, and especially when it's impactful event, major life events. Uh, but when they occur, <laughs> it's a reality with a capital R for sure. And um, uh, <clears throat> because of particularly health problems, I mean, you can't, most of the time you cannot, it's not on a schedule. You you don't, it's unexpected. See? Um, and uh, really impacts a family and one's, you know, or an individual's personal life when there's a big health problem arises. Huh? That is reality with a capital R and, uh, uh, it supersedes all the other routine, important daily routines that we have to go through. But boy, it's uh, you know everything changes, <laughs> uh, changes our perception. Uh, everyday perception is changed, and so forth. So we do have. Uh, since we started this particular blog talk radio live Dharma Sunday show now for almost a decade, I suppose. And, uh, uh we have all our lay ministers give, uh, Dharma glimpses that we call it. Okay. Um, and, uh, uh, if they, they could do it live or it could be, uh, I don't know if you call it taped, but you could pre-record it, okay? And then it goes up onto the studio switchboard of this blog talk radio service, okay? And then I click on it. So someone was scheduled to uh, give a Dharma glimpse today, and but he had a, a family health situation come up, and so he asked the trailblazers... Who, which is the resource organization of uh, um, Bright Dawn Lay Ministers. He says, oh, I can't make it today. Can anybody pinch it? <laughs> and then someone emailed him back and said, oh, Adrian Sensei had asked for some extra Dharma glimpses for exactly such purpose. And I had made, you know, two of them and sent it to her. And so one of those can be used. So, oh, great. Okay. So this is another instance, I guess, of Dharma technology. <laughs> so today to give us a Dharma glimpse, okay, is going to be Christopher Cacchio. I don't know what the topic is. Uh, 
but I'm manning the switchboard here on my computer here, uh, holding the phone, and and uh, there's an arrow. I mean, you know, and I and I'm going to click on it. Um, Christopher Cacchio is a, a recent, recently inducted as a Brighton lay minister last May, so part of the LM nine lay minister nine group, and um, he lives in Utah. And so let us hear from Christopher Cacchio. Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> oh, come on. Okay, here we go. I think. Thank you, Sensei. The title of my Dharma Glimpse today is The Three Treasures Reading. Well, sort of. My Dharma Glimpse is about something that happened to me when preparing for our Sangha's summer Tisarana ceremony. I was typing up our Tisarana program when I came to the part after the homage to the Buddha that says, Three Treasures Reading, written in bold. Somehow, it didn't register that this line was a title, and I misread, well, not exactly misread, I made a conclusion that there was a special reading regarding the three treasures. Thinking to myself, where could I find it? I have no idea. So I proceeded to create the program and outline for a ceremony with the three treasures reading, and thinking that once I found it, I would ask one of the participants to read it to the group during the ceremony and promptly send it out with a lovely highlighted slot for someone to fill their name in to read the unknown three treasures reading. It was a week later as I was getting things ready for the retreat that I reread the program. It's odd at those moments when a light goes on and what is now obvious escaped you before completely. What I thought was a separate activity was actually just the bolded title for what was below. I go to the Buddha for guidance. I shall become one with the Buddha. I resolve that I shall each day follow the way of life he has laid down for us to walk and awaken to a supreme wisdom. For those who've done it before, you get my drift. Looking back, I have no logical explanation on how I could have come to such a conclusion about the reading. The program was already out, so I quickly Googled Three Treasures reading, and it was futile. After waiting through pages and pages of explanation of the Three Treasures or Three Jewels, there was no, traditionally speaking, a special reading for the ceremony. So quickly I realized that I was going to need to create it. I guess this is where the happening takes place. It wasn't in the faulty conclusion, but in the realization of the faulty conclusion. That space of realization, which brought me to a moment of Homer Simpson-esque, duh. In my life before the Dharma, I would have turned in on myself for being so stupid, even for something as small as this. But the teachings of Gyome Sensei keep me from doing that. He says, forget self-pity, live life, be the artist of your life. I translate that as get over it and do something about it. It was up to me to turn the the faulty conclusion into a possible conclusion. I looked at the mistake and saw not something to feel stupid about, but something to laugh at and a new opportunity. So I began to think of what would a Three Treasures reading look like, And I tried Googling again, looking for a Three Treasures poem or something like that. Not so easy. I did find a few, but 
they were more written by a hallmark bodhisattva and for me didn't ring true. In the end, Googling was just as fruitless as before. And then I realized that I'm a poet. Sometimes the most obvious things get past me. I could write the reading myself. Okay, what could I say? How could I express on an emotive level to each of the, for each of the three treasures? Something to make a connection to the heart of each one of the participants who are taking a step forward in taking refuge in the three treasures. Here's what I came up with. Three treasures reading. The three treasures are the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. The Buddha. The Buddha and I dependent on each other's awakening. Amida and I are one, and like a flitting butterfly in a bamboo grove, today to the Buddha's lap I return. The Dharma. To my surprise, learning from the falling maple leaf to show front and back, living without pretense, naturally, just as I am, living in the midst of great compassion, learning that every day is a good day and to keep going. Now I can see the lotus blooming, my own awakening. The Sangha. After such a long journey, I have finally arrived, finally home. Exhausted and bare, you come to me, so happy to see me, just as I am. You run up and put your arms around me. Can you feel me let go of all the miles? I never thought I would find the Buddha's arms right here in yours. I learned from this simple experience that my misreading, my faulty conclusion was not a problem at all, but an opportunity to live dynamically and respond to what life brings me. It was a door to create something meaningful. The reading during the ceremony brought tears to a few eyes, and especially the one reading it for the group. It made this ceremony its own uniquely unrepeatable experience. We now have a new tradition for our Tisarana ceremony with the three treasures reading. I'm so happy that I came to the wrong conclusion. I am happy I was wrong. I think I think this will be the title for my next Dharma Glimpse. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> well, a lot of associations sparked in my mind as I listened to this Dharma Glimpse. Uh, different associations, meaning just my own personal thing, not necessarily the main message that was being given, but um, uh, how to live dynamically, be an artist of your own life, uh, or uh, serendipitous nature of things. Or you might even want to call it uh, Dharma improv. Something that's uh, spontaneous, that's alive, um, mm, mm, or another thing that came uh, that reminded me of a quote that I think was uh, in the business context. And sometimes, when you talk about creativity, that could be applied in a lot of fields or contexts. 
uh, creative problem solving uh, in the workplace. And, and creativity is a, is a core thing in spirituality, spirituality, spirituality spiritual life, you know. It's not just taking the, well, I don't want to say dead words of past teachers. It has to come alive. It's not so much pulling out the impact from some objectified content, but you have to do a more difficult thing. Pull it out of yourself. Mm Mm-hmm. And that kind of, my father always talked about, oh, creative, meaningful life. I mean, that just kind of rolls off the tongue, but (laughs) creative, meaningful life. Wow. Uh, A business executive, I think it was one of the, well, I don't know, one of the Ford, you know, Dharma Dharma has no (laughs) copyright. (laughs) It's okay. Use anything. But I think one of the uh, Ford descendants in charge of the Ford Motor Company, one of his favorite quotes was for sort of like a philosophy of life and work and so forth. Don't complain, don't explain. Now, I know that there's trade-offs, pros and cons of quips like that or pithy sayings. You know, it all depends on how, uh, you know, how you want to use it or how you want to interpret it. Okay, uh, may not do anything for a certain person, and another person, hey, says, hey, I like that. Okay, uh, its value, impact, or usefulness depends on person, place, and time. Okay, but don't complain, don't explain. Okay, say as an executive, as a leader. I think the complain part is don't complain about other people. You know, people do things in different ways and so forth. Things don't always go the way you expected. So when someone else, when people are involved, and the don't explain part means applies to oneself. Some people they have to always be explaining or to justify them their actions, their decisions. To other people, and sometimes you you are accountable. Yeah, okay, but okay. Uh, but we might say, hey, don't complain, don't explain, just live life. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how helpful this is, but when you when you are uh, living dynamically, living a creative, meaningful life in whatever context, then that phrase makes sense. Um, and then, of course, part of the serendipitousness is uh, something happened that cr- did create a, well, problem, a vacuum, a necessity for creative problem solving. Okay. Uh, and a lot of times, uh, the impact is that there was some kind of a failure, whether that failure is broadly defined as, oh, <laughs> we forgot about this, or, hey, I, mis- I misinterpreted this. We've got to 
we got to scramble, <laughs> you know. Uh, and my father always would say, I, I, you know, I, I could hear his voice. Failure is the basis of success. Okay. This is a one of those non-dualistic, non-dichotomous. You know, this is an expression sort of of oneness, where things that are the opposites are not two opposites; they integrate, or as Thich Nhat Hanh would say, interbe, interbe, interbeing. It's a process. Okay. It's it's. Uh, not something static. When you think of a noun, you think of something static. When you think of a verb, you think of action. Cause of failing that you learn something and and then you succeed. Okay. How many times in all kind of a endeavors you, you you know you you hit upon the tremendous uh, solution right away. That's what's called experience. Through a lot of experience of failure, of things that don't work, or, you know, uh, that creates a base, whether you call it a knowledge base or a competence base, okay? that is the basis of success. Yeah. Can you say some words of wisdom? <laughs> uh, one of my great examples, I, you know, I hate to bring it up, but it's a, you know, I was watching the Olympics, women's four by one hundred relay race, uh, and the the Olympics before the women's team dropped a baton. So the four years later, the new team. They were not going to drop that baton. Okay. It was the failure of the previous team. Okay. That was an integral part of the success of the next team. Okay. Yeah. That is really something that's very real. I mean, you can understand it. Okay. And the perspective of it. Um. And in the same way, I think I'm thinking about when uh, uh, in the Dharma glimpse, a butterfly was mentioned. I mean, I don't know what he said exactly, but he's talking about a butterfly. He just mentioned that as a somehow. But immediately, whenever I think about a butterfly, um, I remember doing a service memorial service in a cemetery and it was for a Chinese family and a butterfly flitted by uh, and they said oh that's the loved one's spirit you know uh, now in one sense you might think oh wow <laughs> you know this is kind of uh, you know I don't know if you call it superstitious or hokey or whatever but in another way of looking at it You could call it a spiritual tool or something that, um, but uh, I think normally I would not have related to this in the way that I do now. But when I'm working in the garden, if I ever, if a butterfly comes flitting around, okay, 
which is not that common okay, occurrence. But I said, oh, dad is, my dad is checking in on me and saying, hey, because uh, hey, he loved gardening, of course. He, he was a professional landscape gardener before he became a minister. Always puttering around, okay, whenever he came to visit family members on a trip or something, he'd look, you know, he goes, I'll be out there pruning, weeding, that, you know. Uh, so, of course, it's not, it's what might be called figuratively and not literally and so forth. But I think that's a beautiful thing, you know, to have that sentiment, okay? And not something superstitious. Oh, that's silly to be thinking like that, okay? okay. Um, and so forth. So all these kinds of associations, okay, the more you have, uh, stockpiled in your spiritual path there's so many things like that and um, uh, that's all for today's broadcast whoa yeah time <laughs> time went by today it looks like <laughs> till next time keep going and you have a wonderful day thank you